Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Glad you're with us. Second hour is here, Friday edition of Outkick 360. PK's about to hit the beach. About to head on a, a vacation. He's asking for podcast recommendations. If you have any for him for the drive, hit us up on social media. Yeah. Outkick 360. Um, I, uh, the drive is always good podcast time. And my wife, I think, I, I don't know, maybe I'm talking out of school. I think she starts out skeptical, but then I usually get her hooked on it. And by the time we get there and like stop mid episode, she's like, you know, we're both into it. One and there's a hook no. to it. And then, and then we don't you know pick what it she's up trying until to pause seven, it days, when you stop. seven days later, you that, know, we pick up on it. But that, we listened to the one about uh, winds of change. Uh, oh, yeah, I that's great. It, yeah, I, I recommend that one to you. Two years ago when we made this trip, and we were both all in on that. That it was a CIA project to yeah. uh, get, uh, get rid of communism. To soften the, the song Winds of Change in the 80s. Against that the, it was written by the U.S. government. Yeah. That what? was really good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna listen to this now. It's very good. You'll yeah. you'll love it, Hutton. It was very uh, very compelling. Any of the conspiracy theory type things that you go into is this is this real? What are they really gonna uncover? Those always interest me. The winds of change one is a great example. And I've come across. I, I have this problem. I, I know a lot of people probably do the same thing. Like I've come across a few. <clears throat> excuse me. In the last six weeks that I've just seen in passing, and I'm like, oh, that might be good for the trip. I'll remember that. Of course, I have yeah. no idea. I told you guys, I thought, I thought of something great for work, probably for the show, maybe for the site. I don't even remember that. And uh, I was like, there is no way I will forget this. It was in bed. And you always forget it. There's, always. There is no circumstance under which when you have a good idea, you should not write it down. None. The phone is right there near the yeah, bed charging. Gotta- Pick it up and write it down in a note or an email. I've got a notes a- column. Every time. I've got a notes column that uh, is expressly for that. And it's yeah. usually when I'm lying in bed, can't sleep, yeah. I get an idea, and I put it in there. Two words. And it's amazing. All of this it's angle. also amazing how you go to sleep quickly once you write it down. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's what I've been thinking about. All right, boom. Now, now I'm good to go. I mean, this was mid-sleep, I think. I tossed over, and I was like, that is, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, it's so good. There's no way I'll forget it. It's so stupid. You listen to people talk about writing songs, and they say, you, you know, you got to keep doing it in your head until you can get to your phone to hum it into the recording app. And I hear them, and I know they're right, and then I screw myself by not doing it myself. Well, there's that story. Uh, it's like a VH1, not behind the music. They did the, the 100 greatest you know, rock songs of all time or whatever, a countdown. And I remember they told the story. Number one was Satisfaction by Rolling Stones, but Keith Richards could not go to sleep and kept waking up, and he woke up in the middle of the night and wrote down the guitar riff that became dan 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 
And the next morning, they played it, and it became that song. All because he, he woke up, wrote it down, and then went back to sleep. Uh, I mean, uh, Don't a, go to a sleep. lot of the songwriters will say, like, if they come up with something, they will record it. Right, into the notes. And then, you know, they that. maybe get back to it a month later. But, they but it's in their it. phone. Yes. Yeah, pre-iPhone, I, I guess a lot of them had little tape recorders or whatever. Uh, well, we have the voice memo thing. Yeah, but pre pre the voice memo on your phone. Oh, you're oh I see what yeah. you're saying. They had little uh, tape recorders or something. Yeah, maybe they call themselves and get voicemail and then leave themselves a voice. I don't know yeah. what they would do. But there were methods to the madness because they all well had, just the old fashioned tape recorder. Yeah, just talking to the tape recorder. Yeah, but Paul said you have to you carry that around twenty four seven. I feel like I've seen a number of works of fiction where, like, the detective or whoever is always carrying around a small yeah. recording device. Note to self. And they, they talk into it, yeah. Norm MacDonald had a note to self uh, routine, didn't that he? That was, yeah, it was uh, oh, Dirty Work. Dirty, Dirty Work, one of my favorite movies. Which I watched. I've the... talked about that being an underrated work of art. I watched it on your It ages well. I went back and watched it. I thought it aged very Art-Arty well. Artie Lang was in it, right? Well, Chevy Chase is he the was. gambling doctor. Who's in debt to the mob? He's coming in with (laughs) worse cast. Also with worse news, but uh, you know how we can get out of this? If you can find a way for me to pay $5,000 to this guy. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. It's no masterpiece, but it wasn't terrible. Um, Checking in from Outkick headquarters, uh, Becca, uh, I'm I'm assuming uh, the the one awake at Outkick headquarters, (laughs) Becca, says, tell PK I have a riveting Justin Bieber podcast no, if he's no, desperate. No, I'm not desperate. <laughs> Look, there's a, there's a whole big podcast world out there. Oh, I'm not desperate. I'm not listening to Justin Bieber. I mean, we'll, we'll go music before we'll go to a Justin Bieber podcast. Trust me. I told you. I'm hit, not hit a parade is my music go-to. Yeah, and we could, go, we could go to a couple of those. That's a great sure. title for it, too. Well, it's also... Um, all due respect to the guy who, who writes it and narrates it, the, sounds like the biggest nerd on the planet is the voice behind this, but it all works perfectly. It's hard to explain, but his voice with the music playing and him queuing up the different songs, yeah. it plays. This guy is an absolute music nerd, and he knows everything about the pop charts from the start of the pop charts, and it's great the way he presents it. Well, the last couple baseball trips uh, we've made for Simon, we've listened to a lot of Freakonomics stuff, which are great. They just tend to be an hour long. They're like, a, a, you know, an episode. They're terrific because they look at things from such an odd perspective. Um, but I'm looking for something long, you know, that's that's longer. Um, to carry the whole ride, or most of it, as opposed to stringing together four or five. Speaking of podcasts, I heard a great story uh, about Tom Cruise in a podcast today. One of the actors that's in Top Gun Maverick, I think his name's Charles Parnell, um, he is the other admiral that's always next to John Hamm. When they're in the meetings, You know, he's the one that's kind of John Hamm's right-hand guy in the movie, and he shared a story. It was through someone else that wrote a show that this guy, three years ago, this show has now aired and been canceled. And he came to the show after filming Top Gun Maverick. So they wrapped filming Top Gun over three years ago. It's just now in theaters. But they said he got on set with all these Top Gun Maverick stories and was just wowing the cast with them. And he's like, man, it was awesome. You know, we did all this, this, and this. And he told a story where the last day of shooting, Tom Cruise called him and John Hamm into his trailer. And he presented them with a little box. He's like, oh, this is going to be some form of jewelry. Pretty cool. He opens it up, and it's a watch. 
And he's thinking, oh, this is the watch I wore the entire film. That's cool. He's giving us a part of the costume department. That's kind of a keepsake. He said, I look over and John Hamm's getting emotional. Like he's tearing up thinking Tom Cruise. And so I, I leave the trailer and I, I say, John, what, why are you so emotional? It's just a, a piece of something from the show. He's like, this is a $55,000 Admiral Elite Rolex that they give to four-star admirals in the Navy when you reach that status that he's giving us, that Tom Cruise gave every major cast member when they finished shooting. And apparently Tom Cruise is known for being very generous with his castmates. So how, how did Ham, giving them gifts. Ham know that? Apparently he's a big watch guy. I don't know. But the other guy was not. was just like, oh, cool. Thanks, man. This is really, really sweet. Appreciate it. I have a piece of the movie now from here on out. Not realizing it was a $50,000 watch. I'm never, I've never been and never will be a big watch guy. Here's my watch. Yeah, your phone. Yes. Yeah, yeah but same. I, although I do, I have two watches. Um, I haven't worn it in a, a, a Where, long time. Like your wedding? I yeah, I mean, I, I was post, yeah, I, I got one. I don't know, four, five, six years ago now, probably. But uh, and then Claire got me one um, as well for a birthday or Christmas or something. Um, I used to wear it all the time, and now I just don't wear it. Uh, kind of like what you're saying, Paul. If I need to see the time, I'll look at my phone, and it's not as much uh, time as it is a fashion deal now. Well, and I don't need I don't need other things of value to carry on my person. Right? Like, I've already got a wallet that I don't want to lose yeah. with credit cards in it and everything and ID. I've got a phone that I certainly don't want to lose. Why add a, 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 a $5,000 watch if I were to go huge and put it on my wrist in fear of losing that when I'm out in public? It's, I'm not a jewelry guy. Or it's I'll, jewelry. You know, I'll say this. Getting rolled by someone for a watch is not something I want to do if someone spots something that expensive on me. So. Uh, this weekend, and I believe through the month of June, I don't know why it's exactly one month, but it's throughout the month, uh, five planets will be visible in the, in the sky this weekend. Mercury, like idea, Venus, right? Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, all visible with the naked eye. There you go. One of the uh, people I'm the going skies. on vacation with is a big telescope guy. I wonder if he'll be bringing his telescope. He brought it on one of these trips, and we had a great view of one planet that I can't remember which it was. Did do you make fun of that guy on this trip? A little bit. He's a physics. He's got a physics background. Okay, I'd, I'd have a hard time. I don't know how close you are to this group, but I have a hard time not making fun of the guy who <laughs> breaks out the expensive telescope on the Florida beach well, we trip. We got a bunch of little kids. Yeah, who I'd still you know, make fun of them. Yeah, I make fun of them. I was. I also looked. I would make fun to the extent that cool. he's you know his kids like questioning his father. I wouldn't go that hard on it, but I would make fun of him. So this is a legit telescope. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would guess that he's going to bring the telescope this weekend, knowing well, the tweet that I just saw. It's not like I spent a lot of time on it, but I looked through it and thought it was cool, and then I went back to my drink. <laughs> Be, As being, did he. Being glad that you didn't have to travel with it. Yeah, right. it's not taking up yeah. space in my right. car. Exactly, exactly. Um, other headlines, the SEC decides not to um, decide on the – schedule model for football. Are we surprised by that? I mean, they have time. They have time, but... Uh, I think they've decided. They've just... Not not they've formalized de- They've decided. They've also decided not to announce that now and instead wait until closer to time that Texas and Oklahoma join the conference. I think, they, they, I think they know. They did include Texas and Oklahoma in the discussion. This thing's uh, going to nine know. games. It's going nine. Yeah. I don't see any way the SEC is going to turn down that money 
to not go to nine conference games. Well, I have become increasingly, I like the three, six. Mm-hmm. Um, primarily for the reason that you play everybody within two years. So you're, you're not missing. On the rotation. Any, yeah, you're not missing anything. There's not going to be any boy. We haven't seen X versus Y in too long, which you hear happening in other conferences. Hell, there was an ACC matchup. I wish I could remember what it was where one team hadn't been to a, another uh, venue in a ridiculously long amount of time, nine years, 12 years, something like that. I don't see how you can create a schedule that allows for that possibility. So I like at least that that's unavoidable. I like that the most of the rivalries are going to be there, but like Tennessee, Florida, I feel like should happen every year, you know, so I'll settle for every other year because it's guaranteed, but I feel like it should happen every year. I think an interesting part of this is if they go to this rotation where you're going everywhere, playing everyone every other year, and every four years you're playing in every venue. So theoretically, you come and play somewhere for four years, you're going to be everywhere in the SEC. All 15 places in in your time there. Yeah, that's good. I wonder if that helps attendance. You know, where if you're playing, if it's Tennessee and South Carolina, every other year you're in Columbia, South Carolina – you don't have the big traveling party. Well, it does. Every other year. Does it, does it help fans to say, okay, I'm going to get a shot once every four years, so I'm going to make the trek to College not Station when for it's this Vanderbilt game or and Kentucky and Missouri. Well, maybe College Station, but not Starkville, right? Like, I think it depends on the, the trip on the trip itself. And the venue. Yeah. College and, Station and for sure. Well, again – I think all of attendance is and headed Texas down. And Oklahoma. Yeah. I think I think the trend we we have not gotten to this topic yet, but the trend is going to be smaller stadiums throughout. Yes. I can't think of a single sport Which where I'd be off. arguing for bigger stadiums no. or arenas. Uh, by by the way, you just mentioned there Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, that's going to be a major pilgrimage the first time every SEC team plays there in a conference game. Yes. I don't know how few tickets you get, but that is going to be a hot damn ticket. Tennessee at Texas, Tennessee at Oklahoma. Well, Tennessee was just there in 2014, but almost everyone else hasn't been or hasn't been in years. But right? as, a, as a conference game, everybody, if they're making one trip a year or whatever, that's going to be the trip first time you go there. That, that's gonna, those are going to be something to behold. The, the SEC did announce the new scheduling model for basketball once Oklahoma and Texas joined the conference. So this – right now is for 2025-26 in the college basketball they season. Could so move it up. This isn't going to change anything next year or for the, the very near future. But the SEC said that each of the 16 teams that season will play two permanent opponents, home and away, and then a third rotating home and away, and then the other 12 teams in single games for a total of 18 SEC games. So there are three... Uh, opponents that you'll play um, right now in in the current format of the 14. You play those uh, permanently. And moving forward, it's going to be down to two and then a rotating third for what that's worth. Um, And the other thing that the coaches wanted, um, and I, I agree with them, they want to play the SEC championship game for basketball on Saturday and not Sunday. Because they I mean, want it specifically Saturday night. Saturday night, yeah. But and but the committee's not watching and factoring yeah. in these tournament championship games on that Sunday. Get it over with. Um, so they want to play, but the problem. This was the breaking point this year uh, with all the coaches because 
Tennessee winning the tournament did nothing for their seed. Right. They were locked in at three. And the, the biggest one is A&M. Yes. You know, even making it to that game did not matter for them because they were left out of the NCAA tournament. And when Rick Barnes, who's well-respected across basketball, is saying, I think the teams that are locked in the tournament just shouldn't show up to the conference tournament. It, we should try to help our league out by giving the other really. teams a chance, the automatic qualifier. And every team that's locked into a seed, why should we even play? If we can't improve our seed line at all, all we're doing is taking a spot from our conference in, in doing yep. that. It seems like laziness by the committee that you can't, and maybe it was an exception this year or an extreme, that you couldn't alter your status even a little bit out of a lot of those tournaments. I mean, some, sometimes it comes down to you know one or two spots depending on a championship game right, but it seemed like they but, had determined it thursday oh, yeah, or I mean, friday absolutely they did um and just didn't move anything because the matchups of the it was too obvious that the bracket was filled out prior to sunday's games and the um and the biggest thing out of those tournaments certainly is if somebody that's not making the tournament wins the conference tournament and gets in that's the big breakthrough there but to barnes's thing if the good teams aren't in that tournament to be beaten by the upstart that makes it in the tournament. You know, if all the good teams aren't there and somebody, quote-unquote, bad, mediocre, wins against all the bad teams, you're not earning a tournament spot out of that. No, you are. There's an automatic qualifier. The winner of the SEC well, tournament goes. I mean, that's a cheat code. Right. Like what Barnes is saying is... But if you reduce the tournament to seven teams, yeah, they're going to automatically change the rule. Well, what's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. I mean, they're slow to do everything. I don't think they're going to be, you know, that quick to change the rule to get out ahead of the SEC on that. I mean, I see what Barnes is saying. He's saying forfeit his opener. I, I see why people would be mad with that because all that's going to do is take a spot from the lower conference. But the SEC could easily collude and say, hey, we've got it on our authority that these five teams are locked in. You cannot improve your status in this tournament. Sit out. Sit down. We're going to get a seventh or eight team in the Boy, tournament. Would that we're going to add one, and we're going to play an eight-team tournament of teams that are bad to teams on the bubble, and whatever team wins, you're in. Well, they won't. We add a team to the tournament that way. You're way. right. They, they could, I'd and that would be that. extremely controversial, but they won't do it because of the 
TV contract. They would get rightfully crushed if they did that. Yeah, but oh, they so absolutely yeah. could do it. They're leaving the open windows on the TV. They're contract. not going to turn down the money from the TV contract, and that's also I do want to point out the coaches wanted to move the game to Saturday, the championship basketball game. They can't do that because of the ESPN contract that they have. They're well, locked into that look, Sunday show. If you're, if you're serious about this and you're Rick Barnes or anyone, you're like, hey, we had a great regular season and we're locked into a four seed or we'll whatever pass. it is, mm-hmm. then play your backups. Right. You know, get yeah, to right. Thursday and be like, you know what, we're going to get our starters out quick and we're just going to play this like a preseason exhibition. And if we win, great. If we lose, great. We go back and prepare for the tournament. But, I mean – you don't want to do that. You want to win your conference tournament, too. Like, these are games. You don't get a ton of them. Go try to win them. I mean, I, I just have a hard time believing that guys that are this competitive would ever truly take that stance. And while No, we're going to go to our conference tournament and not try to win. And here, here's my That's line self-defeating. of thinking on it. I think, and some coaches would, would buy into this, too. While you can say, and, and the reason why we're pointing to the bracket being already filled out, because it, when they released their top teams, what was it, 16 seeds or whatever, it was, the top four yeah, seeds in each region, they, it was very similar to the bracket that was released like a month later. Um, and while I don't know if it helps you to play well in the conference tournament, I think if you chose to play the backups and all that stuff, Chad, I think the committee would use it against you in your seat. Maybe it doesn't help ha- you, prevent this but happening. they would certainly hurt you. They would Maybe. move you down. Well, or they might be too lazy to change it. We know that the NCAA can be petty. So, oh, yes, yes. Then I think that would absolutely happen. They would penalize the team that would do that and say, oh, you thought that, thought that you had your seed locked in, huh? Well, you're now a nine seed. You're <laughs> headed west. On you. That's right. Surprise, surprise. surprise. Uh, enjoy Boise in March because that's where you're headed. As in the 8-9 game. We are headed to Ohio next. Bobby Carpenter joins us when we return from the Memorial Tournament. Uh, that's taking place in Dublin, Ohio. We will chat with Bobby about college football headlines and more. Straight ahead on Outkick 360. Bobby Carpenter will join us in a couple of minutes as he's finding a spot from the Memorial Tournament to join us on Zoom. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network. Paul, uh, the CEO of the uh, United States Soccer Federation stepped down. His name's Will Wilson. He's the CEO, uh, stepping down in October, which is right before the World Cup. But did this guy really have much of a role or impact on what they were doing? I realize he's the CEO, but as far as soccer aficionados are concerned, is this a big deal? I don't think so. I I didn't know the name. To to me, the bigger name is Cindy Parlo-Cone, who's the president of U.S. Soccer. Uh, Sunil Galati had been a big name in U.S. soccer for a, a lot, a lot of years and is somebody that a lot of us were anxious to see out. And I think she is the power holder. I'm guessing he's more of a business guy and certainly want to see the business side uh, do well. The timing is probably weird. Um, but I think she's more the decision maker. Uh, she certainly was at the forefront of the CBA stuff that, that went on, not he. So uh, I think that's more a, a, an important spot. Cindy Parlow Cohn, she's from Memphis, played as Cindy Parlow on, on some of the teams that, that won big for the U.S. years ago. And um, I think is an elect, elected uh, by, by 
a bigger contingent of, of soccer people nationwide. LeBron is a billionaire with a capital B. Wow. Um, Who's been counting like and waiting for the moment his interest accrued and probably him. got to that number? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm willing to bet um, LeBron's been the one counting. Like, guys, I'm getting really close. 999, so, And you Bang. see the ticker. Yeah. Um, what put him over we the top it. was Space Jam, right? I mean, I'm thinking what, what led to this being the year was Space Jam. He's got a lot of things going on in entertainment. He, he's got a Netflix movie. I think it's Netflix that's coming out also that it's a movie uh, that he's got the rights to about his childhood. Yeah. About his there's AAU five, team and high school there's team. There's a five-star recruit who's playing LeBron. Yeah. Well, and uh, one of the kids from uh, uh, Stranger Things is in it, is okay. the co-star of it also, I saw. Millie Bobby Brown? No. Um, a player. A player on the team. I don't know the actor's name. But, yeah, so, I mean, he's got his hands in a lot of different things. That's You don't get to a billion, right? Michael Jordan wasn't getting where he got financially to buy an NBA team just with player earnings. You're doing a lot of different things to get there. And LeBron James has done a lot of different things to get to a billion dollars. That's a big, big number. I, I think uh, we've had this conversation before about people not really, a lot of people not really getting the difference between millions and billions. And, um, and how difficult it is to reach, yeah. no doubt. Um, so he, it's the first time an active NBA player has achieved the milestone. Well, I wonder about athletes, this is from athletes period. It's hard. Look, it's, it's difficult to reach when you start from nothing the way LeBron James did. right? When he started at 18 making money as an NBA player, he's made a lot of money as an NBA player, but he started from nothing. He does not come from family wealth. Yeah, now where does it LeBron is very James difficult get? to lose generational wealth in this country. It's also very difficult to build generational wealth for your entire family. And LeBron James, credit to him, he's done that. Bronny so, James is in good shape. Yes. yes, he is. Uh, 383 is what he is uh, said to have earned throughout his NBA career. And he has racked up $900 million in income from endorsements and other business ventures. So a third of his money is from actual basketball. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. But, I mean, we've, we've known that for a long time. I mean, Jordan made more money off Nike than, than from Bulls, right? Bobby oh, Carpenter yeah. is with us uh, on Outkick 360. Bobby joins us from the Memorial Tournament. Um, how was it today? I, I, I noticed uh, the leaderboard. I should mention this. Cameron Smith, Paul's Cameron Smith, uh, is uh, leading the Memorial at eight under currently. How are you, Bobby? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, you know, sorry about that. Coming in a little late, a little hot today. I was oh, out there all day. Got, I got there at. Uh, at 5.30, do my local show, so I've been out there this whole time, and it's been good, been enjoyable. Uh, but, yeah, Cam Smith playing well, but as you guys know, in the Midwest, you get so few, like, great days. I mean, it's it's elite. It's, you know, 85 degrees, 80 degrees, no humidity. So it's about as close as you're getting to San Diego. Have you seen Top Gun Maverick for a second time since you last joined us? Yeah, I saw it actually Monday. So I saw it Friday, or no, yeah, Friday flipped around. And then I saw it Monday, took my wife, my daughter, and one of my boys wanted to go see it again. It was just as good. And I've told people this. I'm like, if I have a friend who wants to go see it and is willing to see that for a third time, I'm in. Like, I'm all about it. Like, it's 
it's great. I've talked to a couple people who I've talked into seeing it and they, they're like, you know, you try to hold back your expectations and I'm like, let them run wild, let it go. And then I ask him, does it still hold up? And the answer has been unanimously. Yes. So I, uh, I sit there and think about it probably almost every day. I'm like, you know what? I would like to go see this thing one more time. I've seen it twice since we talked. I had not seen it at all since we talked last time, Bobby. And I'm with you. If you could somehow bottle up the feeling that I had the last 30 minutes of that movie and sell it and drink it like Gatorade, uh, I would drink nothing but that the rest of my life. That whatever they did to get you to that point of that last 30 minute feeling uh, was was terrific. Well, and that's the thing that's, that's beautiful about it. Like it's on Memorial Day weekend. It's a nice splash of patriotism. You know, the feel-good story wrapping in 35 years, the character development. You feel like you know everybody. So you want to bottle that up and just kind of ingest it and enjoy it. And it's it's so, so refreshing when we see so many movies that are just like pre-packaged and you know, there's not a great plot. Like, But you really feel like you identify with all the characters. You feel proud to be American, proud of your country. All these great things and these feelings all are kind of just wrapped into one. It's absolutely tremendous. Bobby, I hate to go from a high to a low, but uh, sad, sad news about Marion Barber, um, a guy that, that you knew uh, and 38 years old, passes away th- this past week. I know this news hits you hard. What, what are some of your memories of Marion? Oh, man. I, you know, I appreciate you going there. It's, um, I thought you guys were going to go to the you know, SEC going with you know, a 1-7 or 3-6 schedule, but uh, you know, when it comes, comes to Marion, it's tough. I, I played against him in college, um, played with him in the NFL for three years. We were a year apart in draft classes and, uh, played against him in the NFL as well when he was with the bears and I was with the lions. And I mean, you heard Bill Parcells say like, he was the perfect football player, but even more so than that, like Marion was a great guy, like really a great dude. You know, grew up in Wyzetta in Minnesota, outside of Minneapolis. His younger brother, Dom, played for the Texans. Um, you know, James Laurinaitis, who I played with, and his younger brother, Dom, like best friends growing up. So I talked to Dom, and I'd see him, and you, you, you felt like you knew him. They were just a great family. And to, to see that passing of Marion, you know, he's going to be 39 years old. I mean, guys, he's my age. And he was, he was just a good dude who loved the game, who loved being around people. And you know, trying to dig into it, the amount of texts I've had from former mates who are like, hey, do you know more about this? What's going on? What happened? How did this all go down? And you know, I'm sure we'll learn more here in the coming days and weeks. But, you know, the guy was a remarkable player, but he was like so many of the players, you know, that the, the tragic things happened to him. He was so much more than that. I mean, he was a teammate. He was a great friend. And he, he was just a, a pleasure to be around. And that's probably the toughest thing to deal with is I thought I probably had another 10 years before guys who I played with and played against were going to start, you know, passing away. And it's, you know, unfortunate when you see uh, Demarius Thomas, you know, pass away now, you know, know, played against a number of times, great dude. And then Marion Barber, who was a teammate of mine, like that's, that's tough. A guy who's not even 40 years old and so you got to try to figure this out. You got to try to prevent it from happening. And I, I don't know if they're, you know, what the answer is, but we got to work on it. Hey, that uh, for those who knew him uh, and for everybody, 
shifting gears if uh, if we can. Uh, what do you think about Ryan Day's thirteen million dollar estimate for uh, NIL retention costs for Ohio State? Oh goodness, uh, it's, a, it's a good transition there. Thank you, Paul. But it's uh, it's amazing to hear that because I believe Billy Napier threw out like a twenty million dollar annual number a couple weeks ago, and so the, these are a couple coaches that you're actually hearing. Yeah, cost of living, like dollar amounts to this because that, that that's big time. Like we've heard people talk about it at NIL and you hear Nick Saban and everything happened. But now when you have coaches who are actually putting dollar amounts to it, and so you hear 20 million, you hear 13 million. And the way Ryan talked about it, it's like, hey, you take your best 23 players, average out a half a million dollars, probably 2 million for a quarterback, a million for an elite rusher, a million for a really good offensive tackle. You got receivers, running backs, all this different stuff. Like it sounds about right. I mean, probably 15 to 20 million sounds about right. So they're going to have to find a way to, you know, to raise this money in the same way Nick Saban throwing that stuff out there. I think was a little bit of a, of a, a warning to college football, but also an endorsement to the boosters to kind of, Hey, get on board. I mean, Ryan Day was literally talking to business leaders. It was a business leaders uh, breakfast in Columbus, Ohio. Gene Smith is there. And this is for the sole reason of talking about you know, partnering with players, hiring players, and figuring out a way to make it all work. It's a no-brainer that the, the SEC should move to nine conference games, isn't it? Or do you think they stay at eight? I would say it's a no-brainer when you have 16 teams in your conference. Um, you look at TV revenue and you think that that's going to be a, a better situation, obviously there, you're going to get more good games. You're going to have that ability then to make sure that more teams are playing each other and you don't have a situation where I believe, you know, LSU hasn't been to Kentucky since 07. Like there's just so many different things that are, that are out there that teams haven't traveled here or haven't played in so long. So nine games helps alleviate that. You, know, you also have a lot of teams where you have, you know, the Georgia, Georgia Tech, the Florida, Florida State, Carolina, Clemson. Like, there's a number of games that are, you know, big inter-conference games that are built in. So then you really only have kind of two non-conference games. And I think that that's all right. I think that that works. The the teams that are pushing back, I guess, on this, or maybe your second-tier conference teams, where, hey, would you rather play Alabama or would you rather play Troy or Middle Tennessee State? And I get that. Then I understand it, but I think some uniformity in a nine-game conference schedule, I think that that works as these conferences begin to balloon to 14 teams and above. Yeah, and I, I, we, we were discussing this earlier in the week. If, if For those that would say, hey, well, we're just trying to get bowl eligible, I would say, well, you can continue to cash those checks, and we're going to add to those annual checks from our TV revenue. Because the NFL, for instance, didn't add a 17th game because they wanted more football. Uh, the networks were willing to pay a boatload more to their current contract. I, and I, I, an all-SEC matchup over a, an extra weekend, what's that worth to ESPN and ABC and the SEC network and everything else? I mean, it, it, to me, it's a, a moneymaker that they can't pass up. Oh, absolutely. I bet you could argue that extra weekend's worth $5 million per school. You know, yeah. maybe more, maybe seven like that. And so how do you take a look at that with the big game that you're going to have, especially in Texas and Oklahoma? I mean, there's going to be matchups of plenty. And so the one in seven model I don't like because, you know, who, who are you going to say is, is your number one rival? And I feel like you're going to leave so many things out. Like, okay, you're going to have Auburn, Alabama, but 
You're not going to have Auburn. You're not going to have Alabama, Tennessee every single year. You have Florida, Georgia, but you know maybe you don't have Florida, Tennessee, or you have Florida Bay. Like they're, they're, you're leaving so many of these games out. So I think if you have three and you go to nine, that helps answer a couple of questions. Number one, it's more revenue television wise, but number two, I think it, res, it, it um, per, uh, preserves a lot of what makes college football great, which is to me the rivalries and the pageantry and the tradition of those games. So, Bobby, it's been very predictable with college coaches coming out and saying, we got to get a handle on NIL. This wasn't the intent to bring guys in or retain guys from transferring away with money and this and that. I also fully expect Jim Harbaugh to come out soon at a quarterback club meeting and say, you know, we need $15 million if Ohio State needs $13 million in order to retain our roster um, what do you think is the level of playing ball that coaches across the country are now willing to do, even if they try to stay separate from collectives, knowing full well that this now is the price of doing business? You know, I, you know, I hope that Jim Harbaugh comes out and says that. He, he had some recent comments about NIL and talking about how you know he wants to make playing in Michigan a transformational experience, not a transactional experience. And I appreciate that. And I think that that can be the case, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to compensate your players and take care of your guys. And so I, I think that there can be a couple of things that are true. You can have great relationships with your players and still ultimately go out and compensate them. And for the big 10, when you look at it, you know, Michigan is and should be right there with Ohio state. And they had a great opportunity to grow on that momentum that they had this year from beating Ohio State, winning the Big Ten, going to the college football playoff, and instead your coach is trying to leave, and now he sounds like, hey, he doesn't understand name, image, and likeness. And so there's a great opportunity here. The train has left the station. They're going to find a way to tighten this up a little bit, but it's never going to be something where you're literally like putting full-on guardrails on it. And so I don't know if everybody necessarily wants to get on board with that. So if that's the case – you have to live in the world that you've created. And right now, you've created this NIL world, and they've got to find a way to execute in it. You're really liking Matt Ryan in Indianapolis. Uh, I would vote for him as least mobile quarterback in the NFL uh, and worry about him taking some licks back there. Uh, what do you like so much about him in this situation there, and what do you say about the mobility issue? So... I worry about guys who are immobile if, A, they don't know where to go with the football and they don't have a firm grasp of their offense, B, they have a bad offensive line, and C, they don't have a running game. Matt Ryan knows where to go with the football. He's always been very adept at being able to get the ball out of his hand. He's been accurate with that. B, they have a pretty good offensive line, and they still have to clean it up. And they've got a little bit of work to do, but they have some really good players, and it's shown over the years. And then see as Jonathan Allen, who's uh, you know, uh, or a heck of, or uh, Taylor, a heck Taylor. of a running back. To, Jonathan Taylor, sorry, Jonathan Taylor, who's a heck of a running back. And so you give them a running game. Teams can't sell out. You can't have exotic pressures. You have a good offensive line that can protect you against four man rushes. And you know where to go with the football. And so you put all that together, and that all makes sense. And they're in a dome. You know, I like Tennessee as a, as a team, but I wouldn't say that you know Tennessee is. World beaters, even though they won the AFC in the regular season last year. And I think that this is a good change of scenery. And he's going to be inside and he's playing, I think, for a pretty good a team that has pretty good weapons. Like I love Pittman. 
Like I mentioned Taylor, like they, they have some weapons for him. So, I mean, I have to look at what the odds are, but I would say that he would be some uh, nice odds on a dark horse MVP pick. I liked Matt Stafford moving last year, going to a better situation. And I really like, you know, him being able to move from Atlanta this last year, ultimately to Indy this season. Bobby Carpenter has been our guest. You can follow him on social media at bcarp3. Appreciate the time as always. Have a great weekend. And if you're headed back out to the tournament, send us some, uh, some pictures of the, of Memorial. Absolutely guys. Hey, Thanks, it's Bobby. beautiful weather. I'll, I'll take everything I can get. Thanks. Appreciate you. There's Bobby Carpenter there. Always uh, great chats with him on Fridays. Uh, same can be said for VolQuest. They'll join us in about 15 minutes. Austin Price will join us. Uh, a lot to discuss um, from Knoxville and from the SEC. More headlines when we return, including Deshaun Watson. That's next on Outkick 360. The new plaintiff, the, the 23rd plaintiff in the Watson civil lawsuit, um, said that Deshaun Watson offered each plaintiff $100,000 to settle their cases but would not accept that amount due to the aggressive non-disclosure agreement that Watson's team proposed. Outkick 360 rolls on. Um, so, well, we th- this also took place, guys, in October of last year, right as the Dolphins were trying to get him on board through that trade. And uh, if I'm remembering correctly... Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. 18 of them were willing to like four or five. That, yeah, exactly. Four were not, and that was the holdup. So if we put these two things together, four of them were not willing to accept 100,000. We can presume. It's not definitely in evidence, but we can presume four of them wouldn't accept $100,000 plus a very aggressive non-disclosure ag- agreement. Have you guys ever signed anything with a non-disclosure? <laughs> Out, outside of uh, yes, an, we have. an obvious yeah. one. Yes, we have. <laughs> outside of an obvious one. We signed non-disclosure no. agreements coming out of uh, our relationship with our old radio station. Yes. Uh, other than that, no. I'm sure that I have. Uh, just attending something, you know, signing something to walk into a room somewhere that I'm not even familiar that I did. Like, I'm but, willing to bet that we've been somewhere Super Bowl week where we were like signing something and knowledge something on an iPad. That is a non-disclosure. By the way, um, I had I had another significant one coming out of something with ESPN. Oh, were you? And it's just in. It's just forever. Something separate of just parting ways. The ESPN, yeah. you're saying? Yeah. Interesting. I would ask you to disclose it, but yeah. you signed that okay. non-disclosure I, I agreement. Cannot. There's uh, a teaser for but you. But now you've really got me thinking about what that would be. Uh, Watson's attorney says that the NDA was put in there because the Dolphins wanted it as part of the agreement. Oh, yeah. I'm sure course. Deshaun Watson was fine with them spilling everything that he was paying $100,000 about. I mean, it, Well, I mean, both sides would want it, but yeah. especially the Dolphins. If they pull off a trade like that and sign the guy to that much, they don't want any. Oh, now they're going to come out and say this, this, and this, right? I mean, and... Whatever the deal was, 18 were willing to take it. 
of the 22. I mean, I, I don't know specifics. It's through the Daily Beast that has the this well, from, you got, from one of so the So it would have accusers. been $2.2 million if I'm uh, doing my envelope math. Correctly. Also, the whole tone of the defense has now changed publicly after the real sports piece and everything else that we now know that it's more in the public spotlight of what exactly happened and what are the allegations. You got Rusty Harden going on with our guy Seth Payne in Houston today and saying, look, happy endings are legal. There's nothing illegal about that. What's illegal is if you're soliciting or paying extra money for some sort of sexual activity during a, at any point or during a massage or after. Yeah, it's legal so if both sides want it. But I guess what I'm saying is it went from I've never done anything at all inappropriate in my life this to, was way, to now it's okay, happy yeah, endings are legal. but nothing illegal happened. Right. May have made some people uncomfortable, but he also says it's not illegal to say something to make someone uncomfortable. That's also not illegal. So what I think is going to happen is he's going to face a long suspension because it makes the NFL look bad, and he's not going to be found guilty on anything the more that you read about this case. that If you ask me to guess right now what's going to happen, these women are not going to see a dime, and Deshaun Watson's going to win just like the grand jury did not indict on the charges twice now, and he's going to be suspended by the league. I think well, both things are going to happen. With no settlements with any of these women? I, 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 yeah. I think they're just going to fight it out. Think about um, – At this point. And maybe they do – maybe he settles after the NFL suspends him if he knows that that's going to be the suspension and it's done. Just wants to um, make it – But end. think about how close we were to seeing Deshaun Watson traded to the Dolphins. If four more women yeah. sign this, he's traded. Yep. And – Think of all the and moves plays. that don't happen. I mean, yeah. I mean, exactly. How, how that changed the NFL landscape. Pretty crazy. For the $100,000 settlement each. I um, mean, I think all non-disclosure agreements are by nature aggressive. That's fair, too. Yeah. I, I well don't, said. I don't know how much that takes well it said. to a different level. If you state a word of this... You will die. <laughs> yeah. That's as aggressive as we can death, get. A death penalty. Immediately, yes. Electric chair, in fact. Austin Price coming up. The latest on the balls and the SEC on Outkick 360.